The national standards in reading, writing and maths have been compulsory in schools for four years. The government said the standards would help raise achievement, but many teachers and principals warned they would have negative effects. This insight highlight considers what impact they're having. Since the introduction of the national standards nearly four years ago, the performance of children in maths, reading and writing has come under a new form of scrutiny. Twice a year, teachers must look at children's test results and other information to make what's called an overall teacher judgment, deciding if students are at, above, below or well below the standards for their age group. I'm John Gerritsen, and in this insight, I find out what impact the system is having on schools. Try that again and think, who had under the newspaper been... Under the newspaper... Cannons Creek School in Porirua is a decile 1A primary school, meaning it has the highest proportion of children from disadvantaged backgrounds. The school's principal, Ruth O'Neill, says it never opposed the standards, and on balance, they've been good for her school. It's very good to have some form of marker that just says... This is what's expected. This is where a child is expected to be. In a low decile school, I think it's easy to think that your best children are, you know, as good as others. And, and so I think it, it's a much sounder benchmark in terms of where the children are at. But not everybody is so positive. So out here we've got a whole lot of excited children in their uniforms waiting to have their sports photos taken. And look, how big is the school and what decile and all that Wait, sort of decile thing? four? Decile four. 350. At Hamilton East School I asked the principal, Pippa Wright, what impact the standards are having. Probably a refocus on literacy and numeracy because we feel the pressure from, a, from the ministry um, to do this. A lot of unpacking of the national standards so that teachers are making overall teacher judgments with knowledge. Yeah, so a lot of unpacking, which takes a lot of work. So a yeah. lot of time, actually. Has it been worth it, worth that time? Sometimes we wonder. A short drive from Hamilton, Children are enjoying lunch at Decile 8 Cambridge Middle School. The principal here, Ross Tyson, is president of the Association of Intermediate and Middle Schools and he acknowledges the standards have brought reading, writing and maths to the fore. Well I guess it's probably given us a better focus on numeracy and literacy and it's certainly made us um, sharpen our practice because we are aware that uh, we're going to have to be reporting against some, some data. Does that mean that in the classrooms you're spending more dedicated time doing reading, writing and maths? No, I think we're doing the same amount of time, but we're also looking now more perhaps at the other curriculum areas to make sure that the literacy and the numeracy is carried through to that. For example, if we're looking at our cooking, that in fact the numeracy or the, or the measuring is actually a very important part of that. And perhaps in the past we may not have given that as much credence as perhaps we should have done. But despite that sharper focus on literacy and numeracy, Ross Tyson says student performance has not improved. In my opinion, no. No, I don't see any significant difference at all. Why is that? We've well, been... I think it's something we've always focused on. You know, it's not as if we have 
never focused on those key aspects because we know that's the important building blocks in the kids' learning. One of the things we are noticing is that our teachers are better engaged at moderating process and we're looking perhaps more uh, in a dedicated way at the individual child, so it has allowed us to do that. But back at Cannons Creek School, Ruth O'Neill says standards have risen. Our goal initially was by the time the children have been at school for 40 weeks and were having their six-year observation survey, we wanted them to be at the end of yellow, which is level eight. Um, now the national standard says level 12. So we've raised our, the whole bar on that and we now expect our children to get to 12 and work harder at getting them there and putting them the supports they need to keep the children yeah, moving along as quickly as possible. Nationally, however, there is no sound evidence children are reading, writing or doing maths better than before the standards were introduced. The 2012 national standards pass rates were a couple of percentage points higher than those of 2011, but academics and teachers say that's probably due to changes in teachers' interpretation of the standards. That view is reinforced by an independent report commissioned by the Education Ministry. Over the three years since the introduction of national standards, there have been small increases in the proportions of students rated at or above the standards in all three areas. It must be remembered that the data reflect patterns in teachers' ratings of students' achievement. Given that other evidence suggests these ratings may not be dependable, the data cannot be taken as evidence that student achievement is improving over time. The Education Ministry's Senior Manager, Curriculum, Teaching and Learning, Lisa Rogers, admits the Ministry does not know how accurate the figures are. We have no measure of how reliable national standards data are. Uh, you know, there's no kind of coefficient to tell us, um, like we have with NCEA. We're just assuming, actually, that they are unreliable. Uh, what I think is unreliable are the categories, um, but I think we will be surprisingly pleased to find that teachers generally can tell you where a student sits in terms of standard. But there's no way at the moment of proving or disproving that, either side. But Lisa Rogers says the big picture the standards provide is fair and matches other national and international data. She says the information is being combined with figures from early childhood and secondary education to show for the first time the education trajectory in different regions and territorial authorities. That data in turn is used to help target government support and also to get communities to understand what's going on. And though the evidence of improvement is contested, Lisa Rogers says the standards will result in better teaching. The national standards are providing teachers with an opportunity to unpack the curriculum in reading, writing and mathematics in ways that they've never been able to before. So the deeper they understand the curriculum, the more able they are to readily understand exactly what is the bit that student is stuck on. And that bit that the student is stuck on is the next teaching moment. As well as raising achievement, the standards were supposed to help make schools' reports to boards and parents clearer. The president of the School Trustees Association, Lorraine Kerr, says that aspect of the standards is working well. From a board of trustee perspective, I think there's been better information for boards of trustees, what the national standards mean, and also better information for parents. But the independent report for the Education Ministry says only 43% of the reports it looked at last year were clear. 
and at Hamilton East School, the principal Pippa Wright and the Board of Trustees Chairwoman Sally Kerr say not everyone gets the standards. We've run some um, parent yes. workshops on it, but we still have people who have four children at the school, who've been to those workshops, who've sat in board meetings, who still don't really understand mm. how the national standards really work. Our school survey, which we do annually, shows the parent community is mostly supportive of national standards. But the board sometimes struggles to unpack them, and some of the parents do struggle to understand them fully. Just what impact the standards are having on schools is the subject of research at the University of Waikato. So I'm uh, Martin Thrupp, I'm um, a Professor of Education in the Faculty of Education at the University of Waikato. Um, and I'm just flicking through the, uh, the reports for the RAINS project, which is the Research, Analysis and Insight into National Standards project. And this is a, a project that started off in uh, 2010. Martin when, Thrupp is a vocal critic of the standards, and his research is funded by another of its opponents, the teacher union, the Educational Institute. But he insists his study is balanced and says his comments are based on his knowledge of similar systems in places like England and the United States. Martin Thrupp says New Zealand does not use a single test like those countries do, but that does not mean the national standards will be problem-free. The national standards are going to um, be a, a variation on the theme um, of that we've seen overseas. So I, th I don't think we're going to get off scot-free um, in terms of uh, damage that's caused. People that think that we are going to get off scot-free and that there aren't, aren't problems are either somewhat deluded or, or, or disingenuous sometimes. He says his next report will show some of those effects. One would be in, around this whole business of intensification of workloads, narrowing of the curriculum, both towards reading, writing and maths, and also the growth of assessment activities generally in schools, and then the kind of positioning and labelling of children, and then some other just kind of fairly perverse effects of the national standards. I mean, just to give you one example, in one of the schools that I was in, I found that the five-year-olds, the new entrants, were being uh, taught to do small um, multi-choice and true-false tests and this is basically as preparation for star testing and other forms of standardised testing as they go up through the school. Now, you could say, what's wrong with that? Why shouldn't they? You know, the tests were enjoyable and they're doing little tests. Uh, but at the same time, you'd have to ask whether they would be doing that if it wasn't for the national standards and for this sort of this testing culture that is, that is coming in. Another group with an eye on schools are the school support services who provide professional training for teachers. At Victoria University, that group is called Accent Learning, and its education manager, Deirdre Vakauteran, says the standards have ushered in some improvements. We've noticed a big change in the frequency of professional conversations in schools. Uh, a lot more discussion around student achievement data. This is, of course, in reading, writing and maths. A lot more focus on individual students' learning, and what it used to be a lot about behaviour, it now seems to be of increased focus on the learning. So expectations seems to have increased and actions as a result of having this data. But she says her staff have also noticed several negatives. One of them is the narrowed curriculum which has been well publicised. The focus on reading, writing and maths and I mean, we've got a wonderful curriculum and that is a shame. And this gets onto the reporting about that labelling of students from a young age and we've, we've noticed that the stress for those who are considered above a standard, you know, keeping up that level, and there's certainly a stress for those below, and we've heard, you know, parents or, or teachers say, they just say, well, I give up. 
really that the, the students just are yeah, saying... Oh, yeah, we... if they keep on being told that they're below, they're below, they're below. And, and that's from a young age. Um, the mistrust, I think, is an issue, that national standards data can't be trusted. And also between schools, I think we see a little bit of competition being bred between schools where they don't actually trust what's being advertised for national standards for the school down the road. But one of the biggest sticking points with the standards remains the construction of league tables and the ability to compare one school's results with those of another. Hi there, my name's John Gerritsen from Radio New Zealand. I'm here to see John Coulomb. John Coulomb is the principal of Marion Catholic School in Hamilton and president of the Waikato Primary Principals Association. He says his colleagues believe that national standard results from schools should not be compared. I think their major concern is what's done with the data because the a data is just like taking a photograph. It's a snapshot of the children you have in your school at one time. What it doesn't show is the efforts of the school to meet those needs of students. It doesn't show the added value that a classroom teacher makes. It doesn't show the added value that a school makes or how well resourced a school is at meeting the needs of students. All it shows is the clientele you have at the time the picture was taken. And it's not just school principals who say the results should not be published. A Victoria University academic, Michael Johnston, has helped the Ministry develop a computer system to make teachers' national standards judgments more accurate. He says publishing the results of individual schools will subvert that tool. If you're a teacher making judgments about a child and you know that you and your school will have its reputation suffer if, if you make a judgment that particular children or a lot of children are below the standard, well, that's a, a disincentive to, to make an accurate judgment, isn't it? I'm not saying that many teachers would be actively dishonest about that, but there's an implicit effect on their psychology when they're making a judgment if, if they think that they might be under the gun about that. And it's not designed to be a system for comparing schools and teachers. It's designed to be a system for measuring the progress of students and seeing when they might need some additional assistance. The Education Minister, Hekia Parata, has no time for such warnings. This idea that parents don't already compare schools is rubbish. Parents already do, and they make choices and they take their, their children to other schools now. And they tend to do so um, anecdotally on um, perceptions that have very little linkage to where the quality learning is going on. What this additional information does is give them more real information about learning. And I think that's good for everyone. It's not perfect this year, it's better than last year, it'll be better next year. But are national standards results influencing parents' choice of school? And are schools and teachers starting to work the system? The President of the Principals Federation, Philip Harding, says they are. One of the uh, things that struck me recently was that being at a meeting within the ministry when a ministry official said we're starting to see some unintended consequences, uh, namely parents starting to look at results and saying I'm not happy with this school and I need to shift, I need to pull my kid out of school A and go to school B because it's performing better. And it begs the question, is this what we want? Do we want parents chasing all over our cities to go to a school that they perceive to be better based on dodgy evidence? These comparisons are odious. Once the, uh, the data is more accurate, what will be the impact of league tables then when they're actually accurately reflecting children's achievement? I think all the harms that we've talked about will become even more starkly focused and you will see all the negative consequences, all the unintended consequences just growing. You'll see people gaming their results. There's already evidence that that is happening, uh, although it's hard to put a finger on it. We're seeing schools that, that 
that uh, deliberately view the standards in different ways or carry out little strategies that might improve their results somewhat. If you raise the pressure in that space and, and make that accountability more clear, you'll get more unintended consequences. Now, what, what sort of um, strategies are principals using and teachers using that are maximising results in the national standard? I've heard of uh, a PAT test being re-administered within a school because they weren't happy with the results, uh, and that's simply unforgivable in terms of running a standardised assessment. I've also heard of teachers carrying out ESTL writing assessments where they perhaps prompt the children in their writing, which is, again, not not permitted in that context. So they're using little subtleties that would be very hard to ever prove, but perhaps change the results. And here's a first-hand account from a teacher who preferred to remain anonymous. In the school that I'm at now, the management wanted to look very good, and there were some pretty creative things happening when it came to the testing. I'll, I'll put it that way. This teacher says some of her colleagues prompted children so they would get the desired results in maths and reading tests, which contributed to national standards judgments that did not reflect their real level of achievement. I think that the majority of teachers will try to be really accurate. However, I've actually encountered this probably in three schools that I've been at since national standards have started. Okay, what do you think is going on? Why are teachers doing this? Are they being too kind to the children? Are they trying to make themselves look good? What's happening there? I think that some people are trying to make themselves look good, you know, that they are the bee's knees of the teachers. I don't think it's being kind to the kids. I actually think that it's not fair to the kids because a new teacher comes along and expects them to be able to work at that level and these children are a struggle. Hekia Parata says she won't be changing the high-trust model of education and assessment because of such behaviour. I would expect a principal to uncover that kind of behaviour if that were occurring, um, but I would also expect that in the professional conversations that teachers are having um, amongst themselves that that sort of behaviour might be challenged. And the Ministry of Education's Lisa Rogers doubts cheating is widespread. There's going to be some of that, but um, I don't buy into this fact that there's this mass conspiracy theory out there in 2,119 schools, because if everybody on mass uh, was seeking to game the system, we would have en masse a different result. And actually the result that we have is, as I've said, highly comparable uh, to what we see with other studies. You know, it's not wildly inflated, which is what you possibly would as assume if everybody was, was worried and, um, for whatever reason, adjusting their judgments. But even if very few teachers are bumping up children's results, what about the incentive to narrow the curriculum? and concentrate on reading, writing and maths at the expense of the arts, technology and science. Hekia Parata says there's no need for schools to do that. I really don't think that uh, a narrowing of the curriculum is required here at all. You can teach social studies uh, in a really engaging way in New Plymouth about the contribution, for instance, that the petroleum industry has made to New Plymouth, and in the course of teaching that, increase numeracy you know, increase literacy and so forth. There is no subject taught in the New Zealand curriculum or in real life that doesn't require uh, knowledge of, of being able to read, write and do maths. The principals I interviewed all deny other subjects are being neglected in their schools. But Martin Thrupp says his research indicates it is happening. There is, I think, less and less time being spent on kind of topic work. The social studies, science is kind of being fit, fitted in around the edges. Although I, th I would stress that already that was sort of becoming marginalised as a result of the reforms that had 
been coming through really since the 90s. You know, schools were already quite focused on numeracy and literacy. But the other thing is just this, what I guess you could describe as the assessment curriculum. In a way, assessment itself becomes part of the taught curriculum and, and teachers spend a lot more time on assessment activities. Deirdre Vakauteran at Accent Learning says most of her advisors have noted a similar trend and schools are not interested in training in how to integrate literacy and numeracy into other subjects. Generally, schools are just busy, we think, um, focusing on literacy and numeracy. It's very hard for us to go in, in the afternoons and see what, what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. But what we do see is whether or not they use the contexts for their reading and writing programmes. And they really still have to be encouraged in a lot of cases. When you mean the context, you mean a science Well, if, you, if you're reading and writing, it might as well be in the context of science or social studies or arts or technology. And the courses you are running teach them or encourage them to do that, yes. but they're not picking up those not, courses. Not, no, not, not as much as we thought that they would, no. Louise Green is the principal's representative on the national executive of the union, the Educational Institute. She says even schools that strive to keep a rich and broad curriculum are finding it hard not to narrow in on literacy and numeracy. If you've got a rich curriculum to deliver and that's what you want to do in your school but you know at the end of the day that you're going to make a judgment on a child against the national standards then you know it's natural to put your emphasis where the judgment's going to be. John Coulomb of Marian Catholic School says schools also risk another form of narrowing where schools focus on a small group of students at the expense of others. It'll be those who have good attendance at school. It'll be those just below the, uh, the cusp, just below the, the standard, because they're more likely to shift those, and they are the children at the, the lower end, the stay line one and two. Another danger I've seen in, in talking to colleagues is the enrichment programs for the gifted and talented children are taking a back seat because the extra resourcing that a school has is being poured into this target group of students who are just below the standard. But what about the children themselves? How are the standards affecting them? Every principal I spoke to warned that labelling children as below or well below the standards had a negative impact. Here's Ross Tyson of Cambridge Middle School. They should always be shooting for the stars, but if you tell them or put on a bit of paper that you're failing that, it's going to make it really difficult for them to get above that bar. If they think they're smart, they'll actually act like smart people. If you dumb them down on a bit of paper, they'll probably sink to that level as well, which is a, something we don't want to see. Hekia Parata says schools do not have to tell children they're below or well below a standard. I get a little irritated with this because there's no requirement at all that schools should label their children um, by any of these labels. Not at all. There is a discussion that teachers should have with their students about where they're at and where they need to go to next and what the teacher can help them do and what they can help do. There is a discussion that teachers would have with their parents in the same vein. And then there's a discussion that the school has with the ministry as the system managers. Now, the nature of those conversations and the language used in each should be fit for purpose. So I don't at all accept that a child has to be told that they are a failure or that they're well below or, or below. Many schools do use different terminology. Pippa Wright and Sally Kerr of Hamilton East School explained their approach. Well, we do talk about where they are with, in relation to the standard. However, we emphasise progress. So on their report, will it say, well below? No. What do you say, Steve? We will show, show where the standard is, the level that the child is at, and working towards. 
So visually, it's there. They're well below, but you won't use that term. You'll say working towards. Yes. But schools are also being told to report honestly and accurately to parents. Inevitably, most children will know where they stand, however it's labelled. Martin Thrupp says his research shows the standards are motivating some children, but there's a group who are being told they will eventually get there and don't. A couple of things happen there. First of all, children go up to at, but then the next year they're on to the next national standards and they're back down uh, to below. So there's this kind of seesawing between being below and uh, being at or, or above. And then also a, gr a group of students that I think are going through and are never quite getting there. And also, as they, they're going up through the primary uh, levels or primary years, the uh, standards are getting harder. You know, the hurdles are getting higher, like disproportionately higher. And so that kind of promise that you, you, know, you will eventually get there if you work is being an unfulfilled one. Good job. The national standards are having positive and negative effects on primary and intermediate schools. Can the system be changed in order to maximise one and reduce the other? Deirdre Vakauteran says it can. A lot of the negatives are because of the pressure put on schools. And who's putting that pressure on? Oh, the ministry's putting that pressure. Knowing that you've got to report, knowing that it's going to be publicised... What I thought was the initial intention of national standards, which was to um, support teaching and learning and to give an indication, um, if, if that went back to being that initial intention, I think that they could be used to great advantage. Martin Thrupp says there needs to be less pressure on schools. I would like to see uh, the heat go out of the external pressures. How would you do that? Um, well, I don't think that the data should be published. It's not it's showing the progress that's added by each school, so it's quite unfair. But it also puts the sorts of pressures on schools that are... are that programme was by Insights Philippa Tolley. That the more pressure you put on teachers like that, the less they actually teach in an authentic kind of way because too many other concerns are coming in. And Philip Harding says the Principals Federation would stop opposing the standards if the government stopped reporting schools' results. If these processes existed within schools for schooling improvement, if they were overseen by the Education Review Office, uh, who gave that steer onto how you were going nationally and, and perhaps even directed in support as part of their review process where they saw failure happening over time, we would totally endorse that. It is the, the, the willingness to put schools up for comparison when in fact they have very different contexts that lies at the heart of our opposition. And there is not one skerrick of evidence that says doing this raises student achievement. There's no sign the government will give way on public reporting. But Hekia Parata insists the standards will not become a high-stakes system. This is all about how do we raise achievement for every child and young person. And that critically depends upon the quality of teaching and leadership and the strength of parental engagement. So our interest is how do we create the learning environment where all of that is present. And that means growing um, professional conversations. We've been looking, I've certainly been looking at what are the characteristics of top performing education systems. And so this is not about punishment at all. This is about how do we get an outbreak of learning success for every one of, of our children. That edition of Insight was by Radio New Zealand's education correspondent, John Gerritsen.